Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean episode 82 with my marvelous map team in the year 2022. Woohoo! Um, and, and I like 2022. I like to specify TWO for 2022, not TOO for 2020. Also, um, we are going to have a better year this year than the last two. Uh, That's right. That's right. Oh, man, what a year, what a year. Verinia Granham, live from New York. How are you doing? I am doing great. Unfortunately, it's not Saturday Night Live, but I am live it from is, New York. Yeah, live from New York. <laughs> it's <laughs> Saturday. No. Happy New Year, friends. I love, Happy New Year. I love the Marvelous Map team. Yes. I think we should all get to Yeah. And we love you. Me too. Uh, Thank you. you too. <laughs> Dr. Scott Wright. Hello, hello, hello. Studios in Texas. Yes, yes. Here in Austin, Texas, where the cedar pollen is driving us all crazy. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, yeah. But you're, you're here with us. Um, yep. A yep. Little, little more nasally than normal, but right there, right. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll deal with it. We'll deal with it. Uh, and co-founder of Mapped, Rachel Grubbs. How are you doing, my friend? From the studios in Ohio. O-H-I-O. Yep, here I am. I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Yes, round on the ends and high in the middle. <laughs> Ohio. You know, we never introduce you. We always sort of just assume everybody knows you because you're so famous. And me. Creator of the Pre-Med Years podcast, author of the Pre-Med Playbook series, and co-founder of MAPT. <laughs> Extraordinaire. 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 All right. So but more importantly... More importantly than all of us, we are here for you to answer your questions. Uh, We take your questions directly from uh, our YouTube channels at premed.tv or mapped.tv, M-A-P-P-D.tv. So go over there, ask questions, and we'll answer them hopefully here on the show. And don't forget, we uh, post this as well in podcast format, so if you check us out but don't have the patience to sit around and watch and listen you can uh, take us on the go and your favorite podcast player as well so there we go all right let's get going let's all rock and roll albert asks is taking the mcat more than once a red flag or fine as long as the score improves the dreaded mcat retake verinia what do you think I think it's fine. I don't think you need to be too concerned about it, especially if your score is going up. It's not uh, as much of a red flag as if it maybe goes the other direction. But um, just, yeah, just keep that in mind. But no, it's not. It's not uh, an issue. Yeah. Improve, improve. And every school does a little bit different, uh, whether they take their latest, take the highest, if they super score. Don't worry about what the school does. Just do your best. Apply to the schools that you want to apply to and and, uh, show show them what you're working with, as they say. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
Donald asks PA question. I have E's F's on my transcript from community college, not prereq classes. They are dropped classes. I failed to let records know any suggestions to help. They're five years old. They are dropped classes. I failed to let records know. I'm not sure what that means. I think he, yeah, I think what basically I've seen this before. Um, it's typically with students who don't have a big um, sort of history in higher education and maybe their parents, their first generation or whatever, and they don't kind of know the process of things. But basically he stopped going to classes, didn't drop the class officially through the school process. So they ended up as F's on his grades, but Mm. he he essentially just stopped going. Yeah. And I've seen that before with students and I've had at least one student successful doing a a late withdrawal request Mm -hmm. to go back to the school and ask like, do you have any sort of late withdrawal process to go? Hey, five years ago, I was young. I was dumb. Here was the situation. I stopped going to class. Maybe you have records that that show that. And I just didn't know that I was supposed to officially withdraw. Um, And some schools will, will potentially go through a process and let you change those F's into W's. Uh, And that will significantly help your GPA. Oh, yeah. Um, but other than that, it's, it's just going to be recency of grades and overcoming uh, yeah. those Fs. Yep. And being yep. able to talk about it in an interview, potentially, if it comes up, and in secondaries, um, if, if they come up, if, if PA schools do secondaries. Not sure if they do. Climia, uh, why do for-profit medical schools seem to get so much hate? Are they really that bad? <laughs> uh, this is just a lot of misunderstanding in, in, uh, in my point of view. Uh, even for-profit companies like MAPT uh, or for-profit companies, test prep companies, uh, a lot of education systems uh, just don't like working with for-profit companies for some reason. Uh, but the Caribbean medical schools, I think, give a bad rap to for-profit schools. Uh, but there are several U.S. schools that are for-profits that are doing just fine. It's just a different way of setting up a business and doing their thing. Uh, the AAMC is not for profit. And I would say the far majority of you don't think they're a very good company. Um, they uh, don't do things in the best interest of their uh, customers. So uh, not for profit, for profit doesn't mean anything. It's the people behind it all that make the difference. Jawad asks, patient care tech for dialysis company considered clinical experience. So patient care technician for dialysis company. Um, it all depends on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right, Jawad? The, the, the formidable is it clinical experience uh, question. Rachel, we're, we're going to set up a website at some point, isitclinical.com with a fun little uh, game there. What, what are your thoughts when, it, when answering this type of question? Uh, oh, uh, you and I both tried to switch cameras. Uh, yeah, Jawad, it's a great question. We get it all the time. So much that, like Ryan said, we we want to set up isitclinical.com as like a wizard. It is not about the title. It's about what you're doing. 
Um, now, patient care technician happens to have some pretty good words in the title. Clinical experience is when you are directly taking care of patients in a way related to their health. So although your title makes me think it's probably clinical, what you need to do is use your critical thinking skills, either think about the job you're doing every day, or if it's a job you're applying for, look at that job description, see what the tasks are. Um, You know, walking around, talking to patients, filling out paperwork, not clinical. But if you're actually part of that dialysis process, if you're actually interacting with them during that experience um, in a way that's related to that that health um, procedure, then it probably is clinical. Yeah. And not necessarily the one like poking and prodding the patients and running the machines, but just being there, um, being, being by their side, being compassionate with them um, and, and quote unquote, taking care of them in the moment. Again, not necessarily being the one to poke and prod. Uh, Mm -hmm. Rachel's comment about paperwork, right. Is more of an admin task. If you're like the registration person in the ER, uh, less clinical because you're just in and out filling out paperwork. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. All right. Ahmed asks, I don't have any job shadowing opportunities near uh, by because of COVID. What do I do? I apply for med school next summer. Uh, eshadowing.com. Eshadowing.com. Uh, Everyone is in this situation, right, Scott? What What do you uh, What do you tell students in this situation? Yeah, I mean, you know, it kind of opened up for a while, and now things are, in some locations, uh, things are shutting down again because of the Omicron variant and how easily it's spreading. You know, I several things strike me with this. Eshadowing.com certainly something to to uh, to uh, participate in. And, you know, the thing that uh, struck me, one of the things that struck me in the question was uh, uh, that there weren't any job sh- uh, shadowing opportunities uh, nearby because of COVID. And, and I'm, I'm a little interested in what nearby means, Ahmed. Uh, um, I mean, uh, you know, if it, it depends a little bit on kind of where you are and uh, what kind of community you live in, if you're in a big city or if you're in a smaller community or rural community or whatever. But, but I would suggest that this is, this is important enough that if you had to drive you know, 30 or 45 minutes to get to an opportunity, whether it's a clinical opportunity or a shadowing opportunity, opportunity, uh, it's worth, it's worth the effort to do that. Uh, I mean, these are definitely extraordinary times, but um, you know, it's not, and and I I don't know that that's the case and I'm not sure exactly how you define nearby, but, uh, but I would say, you know, m- make opportunities for yourself, uh, clinical opportunities, uh, apply for jobs at hospitals and in clinics uh, that that you're eligible for that don't require certain certifications and stuff. And, uh, and you know, really, you're, you're going to have to really find opportunities to to uh, to get things uh um, you know, to really uh, get these experiences. And so don't just uh, kind of, uh, you know, say, well, there's nothing nearby, so I can't do anything. What do I do? And, and, and all like that. And, and, you know, really search out those things and, and find opportunities for yourself, even if you have to, you know, drive a bit or, or have to uh, ride, ride uh, mass transit to get there. 
Yeah. And, and it may not necessarily be every day, right? If right. it's an hour away, but you can go once or twice a month, that's still yeah. valuable. Absolutely. Maybe you spend, you know, eight hours that day that you're there or however long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but as Dr. Wright was just saying, you know, you have to, you have to find a way to make it happen. Yeah. Definitely. Indeed. Uh, I prefer indubitably. Um, and ask can you explain why you say that med school rankings and name recognition doesn't matter for residency applications Uh, because that's what the data shows (laughs) Um, so there's a there's a survey of residency program directors and and school prestige is uh, low on the list in terms of what they consider Uh, and med school rankings themselves are made up piece of crap list from a, a company that wants to sell you magazines and and get website visits so (sighs) indeed indeed so there's there's a lot of fear i'll I'll expand a little bit there's a lot of fear with step one and and level one from complex going past fail that school prestige is going to weigh in more we don't know um my Guess and talking to program directors and those involved in the residency selection process is that because step two and level two are still scored, the weight that step one has played in the past for residency applications is just going to move to step two. So while it was a great grand gesture of let's take care of med students and we have all this pressure for step one and, and self-care and mental health are important. um, Nothing's changed because all the weight's just going to be on step two now. So maybe it's a little bit better because two out of the three tests now are scored instead of all three being scored. Um, But we'll see what happens in the coming years. Uh, So step two uh, is going to be a big factor in residency applications. Uh, and I think that's a good thing because step two is easier than step one in my mind. Well, it's so. in, and, and the other thing I, I think about step two is it's more relevant. It is exactly. Uh, that's why it's easier. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, step one is all about the basic sciences and stuff. And step two is really about how can you apply all that, you know, yeah. in, in terms of real clinical medicine and stuff. So it's, it's enormously more relevant to, to a residency application process. Yeah. Yeah. Albert asks, seeing the MCAT on the 21st, any recommendations on handling test anxiety? So let me Google real quick. Um, Test anxiety site. Oh, look, I've already Googled it. Um, The pre-med years episode 337 is an episode that I did with Dr. David Pewter, a psychiatrist who works with uh, medical students a lot with test anxiety. So go check that out. Um, uh, So, yeah, Scott, any, any thoughts on test anxiety? just build some time in to just kind of relax, right? Um, Resist the temptation to kind of cram at this point. Um, You're about two weeks out now. So, of course, you know, stick to your study schedule, but um, definitely build in some time to just go outside. It's cold now. Okay, fine. Go outside, get some fresh air, um, take a walk, do whatever you need to do. Um, That's really, really important. Yeah, and I think uh, I also recommend that um, when that 
two, I would say two to three days before the exam. So if you're taking the exam on the 21st, by the 18th or 19th of, of January, I would say you want to be doing very little studying. Mm-hmm. If you're still cramming and spending eight hours a day uh, studying and, 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 and doing stuff for the M- preparation for the MCAT, that close to the exam, uh, that's just going to build anxiety. So I think that the two, two days or so before the exam, you need to be doing some fun things. A little bit of studying is fine. I mean, I've had students who were studying in the car on the way to the testing center the morning they're taking the exam. Talking about anxiety-provoking activity, Mm-hmm. That's it right there. So, you you, you know, so just de- definitely uh, back off of do some things that that uh, relax you get out, you know, whatever uh, activities are, go out to dinner, go to a movie, whatever. Uh, but try to relax in that those ways and, and back off of the study. Yeah. And good luck. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Good luck. Madison asks, did you review the reasonings we can use for school connections or for close connections to schools? <clears throat> There's no med school where I grew up and a top 20 where I currently go to school. That seems like a long shot. There's that top 20 from the U S news and world reports. Um, so close connections, <sighs> Scott, what do you think about that? Uh, as again, as a former director of admissions, uh, if someone came to you as a non-Texas resident, but was like, "Hey, I went to school right near your school," uh, is that is that a close connection? How do you, how do you make those ties? Well, I think that for state institutions, uh, the state regulations, the state laws regarding how residency is determined are going to trump everything. In terms of, you know, any any kind of connections that you're trying to build or whatever. So, for example, in the in the state of Texas, the laws are pretty cut and clear and 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 everything. And if you're if you're a non-resident, then it doesn't matter how close the connections are. You're still going to be a non-resident and you're still going to be held to the standards of non-residents. Different states are different, however. And so some of the states, uh, their residency rules are are a little bit more flexible and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I just think that you have to uh, it's not. It's not bad to to uh, to talk about connections that you may have. You know, my grandparents live in the state and I've, you know, all my life been visiting the state, coming for holidays and stuff and uh, or whatever, you know, build, uh, you know, trying to, to, to build those up for the, the sake of the admissions committee and stuff like that. But um, uh, beyond that, I think you really do need to, to look at the schools that you're trying to build those connections to, uh, whether they're public or private. If they're public, um, what are the residency requirements for that state? Uh, and, um, and that's generally what you can do. Yeah. All right. When it comes to shadowing, I know it doesn't, uh, the number of hours, I I know it doesn't matter the number of hours, but does it matter how many doctors I shadow? Okay. So number of hours, 
uh, sounds like the student knows isn't super important. But what about number of hours, Verinia? Uh, we always get this question in terms of, I shadowed an orthopedic surgeon and someone told me that it's concerning because it's not a primary care doctor. Do I need to go shadow a primary care doctor? Do I need to go shadow uh, a woman's care doctor? Do I need to go shadow whatever? Uh, what are your thoughts there? Sure. Can you hear me okay? I'm having some audio issues today. Uh, no, it's a little light now. Someone's coming in loud, though. I don't know who it is. Okay. I don't know How's this better? Yeah, it's better. Okay, sorry. Um, oh, now, now it's too loud. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing this all day. Okay. Yeah, How's that's better. better? Good. Yeah, that's right. um, yeah, so the, the number of hours versus the variety, basically, of specialties that you're sh- or the types of doctors that you're um, shadowing. So a good mix, right, is always ideal, right? You want to have a balanced number of hours and a sort of, you know, exposure to different areas of medicine. Um, but could you apply having shadowed just one or two doctors um, for a longer period of time? Absolutely. Um, I, I always just tell students, if you can, at least try to kind of balance that out, try to see different, you know, uh, areas, um, different doctors do different things. Um, so yeah, if you have an opportunity to do that, if you have access to do that four or five different doctors, great, fantastic. If all you can do is one or two doctors, that's fine too. Uh, just make sure that you're really, you know, observing, really getting as much exposure to that as possible. Um, after a while though, you kind of hit sort of like, um, I don't want to say a cap or a max, but after a while, shadowing is very passive, right? So you can only absorb so much just sitting there kind of observing that one doctor. So you will benefit from seeing different doctors. Uh, but again, it comes down to what can you do? What, can, what, what do you have access to? So if it's just one or two, that's fine. Maybe shadow, uh, do our e-shadowing program or, you know, virtually shadow different areas so you can get that exposure. Yeah. Yeah. I always say shadowing one doctor is hard enough. Uh, people that were like, you need to shadow multiple different kinds. I'm like, uh, that's kind of hard, especially right now. Yeah. Yeah. You do what you can. Okay. Vinny asks, hello, everyone. I was wondering if DACA students are considered international students when applying. Uh, no, you're considered a DACA student. Um, DACA, unfortunately, I worked with a DACA student this past cycle, um, and she basically made a list, um, and, and you should do the same thing because it, it may change year to year. Um, you, sh- you need to call every school potentially that you're interested in applying to and ask, how do you treat DACA students? Um, do you treat them as international students? Do you treat them as residents? Do you treat them as whatever? Um, and some schools will say, we, d- we don't look at DACA students, period. Um, some will look at you as residents. Some will look at you as international students. So just it just... Uh, Depends on the school, unfortunately. Yeah, Yeah, and I agree. You definitely need to call. Uh, I will post for you, Vinny, in the um, in the comments. The double or you can Google. um, The WMC has a list from 2018 of at least some med schools, not all 200 plus, but some med schools replied to a survey telling their their willingness to work with it. And of course, I think a lot of the schools that maybe aren't willing to work with DACA didn't respond. And again, it's a partial list, but you at least will have an indication of what it looked like three years ago or four years ago now, because it's 2022. Um, but so there is some data available from the WMC on that. Andrico21 says, do you think a letter of intent after interview, but before waitlist is appropriate? It has been 11 weeks since my interview. 
the letter of intent. So at least their post interview, Dr. Wright, um, letter of intent. Again, the answer always is it depends on the school. What are your thoughts on uh, someone who has interviewed, which obviously shows the school is interested, um, has interviewed, but hasn't heard anything in 11 weeks. What do you think a, a little update letter of intent may look like? Um, I, I don't think it's problematic to write a letter of intent. Uh, I think that, you know, having a letter that, you know, expresses your interest in, me- in that particular medical school is, is, is fine. Uh, what meaning the, the issue here really is what meaning that letter is going to have in the process for the medical school. Uh, and, and different medical schools are going to approach that uh, differently. And, and unfortunately, I think a lot of letters of intent um, get um, kind of bad rap thing because they get a lot of letters of intent and then they get students who they make offers to that sent them a letter of intent and they end up not coming to their school. So, so uh, over the course of history uh, of the institution, then the, the, uh, the they may have, uh, come to the conclusion that we can't trust the letter of intent because of past history that says students, you know, a lot of students write them just so they can try to get in and then they get in somewhere else and they go somewhere else. And so, you know, you can see how that might might affect the the meaning that that letter might have. Now, having said that, I, I don't think it's problematic. It's certainly not going to be a negative to send the letter. Uh, so if you want to send the letter and, and this will help you in your anxiety and stuff, do it. What what benefit it's going to have to you, I think is going to be questionable. There, there could be a negative if the student says, dear school, I have not heard from you in 11 weeks. Well, I find this completely unreasonable. Yeah, okay. okay. This <laughs> How is true. dare you keep me waiting? I am a fantastic <laughs> applicant. <laughs> My mommy told me so. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, it sounds so extreme, but I literally have had students say things like, well, they shouldn't treat future doctors this way. And I'm like, um, yeah. you're not going to be a future doctor if you uh, keep that attitude. That attitude right? <laughs> Humility is one of the competencies. Wait, wait, wait until you see how patients treat you. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, all right. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hard truth. It's, it's still a great calling. <laughs> you just got to know what you're getting into. Um, all right. Ryan asks, I have already graduated, but I only took one semester of physics. Should I still apply to schools that require two semesters and communicate them my intention on taking the course later? And if so, how? Yeah. You don't have to have your prereqs finished before applying. So go right ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and no, I I mean, you don't necessarily have to communicate your intention. Um, You just have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) As Nike says. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Albert again. Hello, Albert. How do medical schools informal warning, uh, still an institutional action in my school related with alcohol consumption in freshman year. Um, So how do, how do schools view these informal warnings? So they have an institutional action. uh, It's freshman year thankfully. Uh, and it's alcohol. <laughs> Shocker. College yeah. kids drinking alcohol before age. Uh, you're fine, Albert. Just own up to yeah. it on the application. Yeah. yeah, 
Absolutely. Don't blame someone else. (laughs) I thought I was drinking water and just at that time I took a sip from the red solo cup, Mm. the cups, the cops game. I knew that fruit punch tasted (laughs) odd, but I I just didn't know. This doesn't taste like iced tea. (laughs) One time I worked with a student who was like, well, there was only a few people there. I'm like, I don't think that that reduces the issue. <laughs> like, they're trying to, like, it wasn't a 400 person party. I'm like, yeah, it was <laughs> so illegal. Um, um, I'm looking for something fresh. We're getting a lot of similar questions today. Uh, please stand by. Oh. Uh. Ryan asks, when is the ideal time to submit TMDSAS? I'm taking my MCAT on April 30th, and with spring finals, I don't think I could submit by May 1st. Would the end of May be fine, considering this is rolling admissions? So TMDSAS, um, as of last year, uh, put in a pause between when it opened and when you could submit. It wasn't as drastic as AMCAS has historically been, where there's about a month between opening and submission. Uh, I believe TMDSAS was about two weeks right. um, delay. So uh, you can't submit May 1st, assuming they do the same thing again this year. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, you you apply when you can apply and it'll be fine. Yeah, I agree. And end of May, you know, fine. Uh, yep. Even, you know, early June, mid June. I think those yep. are all fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Not, no need to apply the very first day it opens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Abood asks, is the DO application timeline different for that of MD? When is it considered late to apply for DO schools? Is it true that you can still apply in September to November and not be at a disadvantage? So we uh, talk about this all the time where the DO application timeline seems to be a little bit more delayed than the MD and Texas applications. Um, I wouldn't say that you're not at a disadvantage. I would probably say you're at less of a disadvantage uh, compared to the other application services. Um, the timeline is the same. The The applications open at the beginning of May. The DO application still does not have a delay between when it opens and when you could submit. So you could fill out everything in one day, submit that same day. I don't recommend that. You don't need to rush that fast. Um, But uh, my assumption, my hypothesis in this scenario is that DO schools know, whether it's right or wrong, that they are a second choice for a lot of students. So students will submit the MD application, fill out secondaries, potentially not hear anything, start to get worried. And then August, September, they're starting to fill out a DO application. So my hypothesis is that some schools will hold some interview spots for those later applications uh, coming in. So again, less of a disadvantage, but not completely without a disadvantage. Yeah, I agree. Joseph asks I receive enough credits in high school to be able to graduate from my undergrad in three years are there any advantages or disadvantages to this 
the youngin, the youngin question. So uh, you save a year on tuition. Verinia, what are your thoughts on, on age here? Sure. You took the words right out of my mouth. That's the, that's the biggest advantage, right? You save yeah. a, a year of tuition. Um, the being on the younger side of sort of the applicant pool, it's just, a, it's a little, it's a little tougher. Um, applicants are, um, you know, you're just, you're finishing a year early. That's a year of time that you could use to maybe gain more experience, to gain more um, clinical exposure, clinical experience, and just to experience life. Um, That's not to say you can't apply. It's just a little bit more rare to get in at such a uh, younger age. Yeah, I mean, we're talking to a student. We've we've talked to students seventeen, eighteen, um, that that are much younger than just a normal. I'm twenty one versus twenty two, mm-hmm. uh, so le- less of an issue potentially. The the biggest yeah. issue that I see is always that lack of time for clinical experience to build up your own reason why you're doing this to be able to write about and talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe use that year to do that you graduated yeah. a year early take advantage of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. get some experience yeah yeah Kimia asks, I'm planning to retake my MCAT, but there's no availability in my area until May test dates. Can I still submit my MCAS on the first day while waiting for my score? Or would that delay my app? No. Um, if you read my wonderful book, uh, The Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Application Process, um, it talks about the, the MCAT score has nothing to do with your MCAS submission. So you can submit regardless of your score status. Um, A lot of students are afraid of doing that because it does cost money to submit your application without knowing your score and how you did. If you're confident and your, your practice test scores are right where you want them to be, then the likelihood that your real tests will hopefully be in that same neighborhood go ahead and submit one way of potentially hedging that a little bit is a game that I originally, when I first heard about it, didn't like it. I'm like, why do that? Uh, Now I understand it. I'm all for it is you just add one school to your application that will allow you to submit it. When you get your score back, you can add the other schools uh, to your application and in that time between submitting your primary application and when that score comes back, you're working on your secondary essays as if you had added those other schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, there's no significant delay in, in processing or anything else for those other schools. All right. Kyle asks, does it, 200 hours of volunteer experience during high school look bad if there's none through undergrad and working full time, but may, uh, but may be able to find time in the summer. Yes, that looks completely bad. Uh, yeah. considering that your high school experience shouldn't in, in air quotes, uh, shouldn't go on your primary application for medical school. It's kind of a general accepted rule of thumb that high school stuff, uh, should stay in high school and does not go forward on your medical school application. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you, the, the thing, Scott, we talk about this all the time is you, you have time, you're working full time. Right. Why are you working in a situation where you're not getting clinical experience? Right. So right. Um, go get a job 
that's giving you clinical experience versus yeah. whatever else you're doing now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. And from what I'm hearing, there are a lot of openings yep. in healthcare. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Lots of people leaving. <laughs> yep. And I just saw, I just saw a big post on uh, Facebook today uh, for my, my area in central Texas uh, hospitals looking for er- everything and anything, you know, all kinds yep. of tech positions, all kinds of, you know, just lots yeah. of uh, opportunities. So, yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean to sound flippant. I mean, we don't know this particular student situation, but if you can try to get something clinical, that would be ideal. Yes. Um, but yeah, you, you have to find the time yeah. to do something if you're going right. to keep your current job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clinical can be paid or unpaid, but you've got to get your clinical experience. Yeah. Yep. And, and I agree with you, Ryan, that 90%, 95% of the time, Things that you've done in high school are completely uh, irrelevant to the to the application process for medical school. All they want to know is post high school. What have you done? What have you been involved in anything in high school and before that? They don't even want to know about it. Yeah. You can talk about it in your personal statements and and other places, but in terms of your activity list, uh, unless it's the the kind of situation where you started something in high school and you continued it in In college, college, then Mm -hmm. you can kind of put that date range that works there. But um, the things that are kind of one-time things or or like the student said, 200 hours in high school, like that, that stays off your list. Right. Again, you can put it on. There's, there's no, there's nothing stopping you from putting it on. But a lot of schools potentially will be like, "Why is this on here? Didn't, didn't you know you're not supposed to do that?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, and then we always go back to the question just to expand the thought. Uh, we always go back to the question uh, that schools will ask: Is well, how can you tell me you want to be a physician? You're applying to medical school. And you haven't done anything in four years or three years. Right. If you want to be a doctor so bad, why haven't you done anything? And it's like, well, I had a full-time job. Okay. (laughs) Like, great. Yep. Go get some more experience. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, to kind of expand out, this is a common thing. We get a lot of, because of my circumstances, I can't do X. So will they bend that rule? Um, the requirements are the requirements. Um, they, they don't change. Can I just quickly bring up a point that's been coming up frequently in the map chat? Yeah. yeah. So I've gotten a couple of, uh, about three or four different students who've asked the same question. And that is, should they, qu- the, kind of the opposite, should they quit their um, current full-time job to take on a clinical job um, because they are lacking that experience? Um, and so kind of along the same lines of what we're talking about here, we don't, you know, that's a very, that's something you really have to consider. That's something that you have to think about carefully, because if this is your only source of income, um, then it probably, you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to, you know, find another clinical job and be able to, you know, cover your expenses. So, but you really don't want to approach this as I need to get more clinical experience. So I'm just going to go and, you know, quit my current job to be able to do that. So, Whatever you can do um, to gain that experience without having to completely uproot your life, fine, go for it. Um, but you have to find a way to add in that experience, those hours. Um, and, and then also think to yourself, if you don't get in this cycle, 
you know, can I, am I happy taking this job and, and now staying in this job because I wasn't able, you know, I didn't just get, I didn't get in. So I just, you know, I quit my other job to be able to apply and get in and it didn't work out. So there's just a lot of things to think about. And this has been coming up a lot in the mm-hmm. map chat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So map chat, for those of you who don't know, uh, or chat advising in mapped, <laughs> we haven't nailed down the yeah. name yet. <laughs> um, in mapped, you, you can uh, go sign up for a free, 30-day free trial of Mapped using uh, this great code that Rachel just threw up there, 30 days free. Um, That will give you access to all of the features of Mapped, including chat advising. So once you put in all of your courses, your activities, your MCAT scores, whatever you have, you could then go over to the chat advising area and chat with one of us and say, here's my situation. I need help. Uh, and then if you like that feature and you want to continue to use it, uh, you can subscribe and become a, a member of mapped with chat advising built in there. And if you don't like it or don't want to pay for it, you can continue to use mapped to just track your GPA that will show up on your AMCAS, ACOMAS and TMD SAS applications by entering your grades every semester, which a lot of people this last week or so have, have gotten their fall grades. So uh, if you are a mapped member or uh, using it for free, go, go and update all of your last semester grades in there if you haven't already. Good plug. Great. <clears throat> Toximicjet. <laughs> Toximicjet. Uh, I'm actually a pre-vet student, but there's not much help online per- for pre-vet. Mapped will soon be pre-vet at, at mm-hmm. some point. Sure. Uh, would you suggest taking tips and ideas from pre-med resources since the applications seem pretty similar? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, I've, I've talked to pre-dent, pre-vet, pre-PA, uh, pre-whatever, and, and a lot of the tips and suggestions, um, specifically in my interview book, my personal statement book, a lot of it's just storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get your story across, whether you want to be a medical student or a vet or whatever? So, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of the tips are, are going to be the same. Yep. Yeah, and just to, to clarify for those who don't know, both Verinia and Scott here on our team have years and years of experience of pre-health advising, not just pre-med. And part of why we wanted these wonderful people to be on our team is because long-term, Ryan and I do plan on expanding much more. Currently, we're doing pre-med, and MAPT also has pre-PA Um when Ryan says we'll be pre-vet soon, we don't mean before you apply this summer. <laughs> well, maybe, pro- probably not though. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, it, over the next several years, we plan to expand mm-hmm. through as much of the pre-health uh, arena as we can. Yeah. Um, and but yeah, interestingly enough, in, in Texas, uh, TMD SAS, the application Same. service, yeah. does uh, not only med schools in Texas, but also dental schools and veterinary schools, and uh, so we're familiar with all all three of those. So if you happen to be in the state of Texas, uh, reach out to TMD SAS and they can help you with uh, some, some, uh, some, uh, some, you know, helpful information, go to the website and stuff like that. But I, I completely agree that uh, a lot of the crossover is very, very uh, easy to make. So. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. All right. Oh. 
AR asks, my letters of rec- uh, recommendations range from 2018 to 2020. Would it be necessary to update the dates on these letters for next cycle? As a non-trad applicant, would it be frowned upon if I don't update the date? Vernia, we get this one a lot. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think? Unfortunately, yeah, you, you need you need some updated letters. Um, need, 20... need, need is in air quotes, right? <laughs> yeah. Not uh, a hard requirement, but recommended. But strongly recommended. Yeah. yeah. Plus, you've you know thing you know you've done new things. I, I assume since 2018, 2019, even even in the last year, um, that you you know you'd want to kind of touch base with your recommenders and update them on um, so they can maybe update the letters for you. If, you know, as Dr. Uh, Gray was just saying, it's, it's not necessarily a requirement, but definitely strongly recommended. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that really you have to put your pl- put yourself in the place of an admissions committee member mm-hmm. who is looking at these letters and who looks at hundreds, maybe even thousands of applications every year. And they're looking at at this your application and what they see in your application are letters that are two or three years old. And so the the immediate thing that is going to come to their mind is what's up with that. This is outside the norm of what I see over and over and over again every day as I'm reviewing these these application files. And so that's not the kind of thing that you that's not the kind of recognition you want from a reader or from an an admissions committee member to, to notice your file is Well, this file has old letters. I don't understand why they can't get new letters or, you know, whatever. So you have to put yourself in their place and sort of understand that uh, this is going to be notably different than other applications. And so it's going to, it's going to cause questions. You never want to cause questions like that. Yep. And yet to, to expand out a little more. So listen up those of you who are not applying this year, but applying in future years. One of the most common questions we get is like, well, it's really awkward to have to reach back out to them because I haven't talked to them in a few years, or I don't know. I feel like I would be bothering them. If you don't have that kind of relationship, then they might not be the right letter recommender for you. So those of you that are, you know, one, two, three years out from applying, start building those relationships now. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be schmoozy or schmarmy. Just straightforwardly say, I'm going to be applying in a few years, and I'm hoping that at that point you'll be willing to write a letter of recommendation. Can I stay in touch with you? And then, you know, just once, once or twice a year, send them a three-line email telling them the things happening in your life. Um, it's it's a perfectly acceptable way to interact and keep that relationship just feeling a little more solid. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. I want to throw up uh, Dietrich's question here. Uh, where'd it go? I lost it. Here it is. Um, about uh, podiatric medical school and does it count as medical school? So as a podi podiatric uh, physician, a DPM, a doctor of podiatric medicine, you are as close to uh, a physician as there there is out there. Um, it's uh, very much a lot of the same uh, pre-med recs. Uh, a lot of podiatric medical schools want you to take the MCAT um, and you come out with a DPM degree, a doctor of podiatric medicine, where depending on the state that you live in, we'll have different 
um, rules around what you're allowed to operate on if you're a, a surgical podiatric uh, physician, which most are. I think most are. Mm-hmm. Not all are, but most are. Um, it, some, some states will allow you to kind of operate from the knee below. Some are, are kind of mid tibia below. Um, but yeah, po- podiatric, uh, physicians will do a lot of surgeries on the foot and taking care of feet and ankles. And, uh, a lot of sports teams have, uh, podiatrists on their, their kind of, uh, medical staff to take care of, of, of athletes feet. And so, Yeah. It's, it's as close to being a physician physician that we consider kind of MDDO as, as possible. Mm-hmm. Andy asks, I have two F's on my transcript and I've been able to pull up my GPA above 3.0 after that, but just wanted to know if you think medical schools accept students with F's on their transcript. I know a student with 16 F's on her transcript who's in medical school. So yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, absolutely, Andy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> just because you just because you made mistakes in the past, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, with one caveat, right? If if it's a prereq, then obviously you kind of have to retake. Okay. Those. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wait. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did we just say caveat for caveat? I say caveat. Is it caveat? Caveat. I it's say a, caveat. Okay. Yeah, I like so it. Sorry. I like it. Caveat. It's one of those, Rachel, Rachel, you and I talk about this all the time about <laughs> uh, a pronunciation of words. If you only read it, but never hear it, then it's yeah. like, I don't, I don't know. But I've been, yeah. yeah, no, I never make fun of someone who mispronounces something because it just means they're really well read and yeah. maybe, yeah, haven't heard it. <laughs> but I do believe that word is caveat. Um, I just I just googled it and I don't think Kavit is one of the accepted. Um, That's interesting because I've heard it pronounced that way too before. Okay. Yeah. Well, well and I think sometimes mispronunciations mean. become the norm. Yeah. yeah. Like um, one of my biggest pet peeves: Uh-oh. preventative. That's oh not my the word. goodness! That's not oh the word. my goodness! Here we go! Here we go! So because it's supposed to be preventive. Preventive is, is the word, and we have bastardized it into preventative. preventative. So just say prophylactic. That one's. Although I guess that has other connotations too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that one's. I mean, in the, I mean, in the preventive way, not yeah. in the put on your body way. So, so <laughs> it's. This is it's fun because as as pre med and pre PA and pre whatever you're going into, it's really fun to go through your your pharmacology class where everyone mispronounces everything forever. Um, it's like, well, how do you like how do you say that medication? I don't know. Um, so it's it's a really fun time. Caveat. Okay. Uh, let's see. Abood, rewriting the MCAT. So Abood is uh, Canadian. Rewriting yep. the MCAT in August of this year and applying this upcoming cycle. Do you recommend submitting the application early, May or early June, with a not-so-good previous score? Would love to hear your advice. So this is this common kind of – I don't know if it's a misperception uh, or not, but there's a lot of fear around – applying if you already have a lower score with a pending MCAT in the works Um, and what medical schools potentially are are going to do. They're going to see 
because you're going to put it on your application that you're retaking or rewriting the MCAT in August. And a lot of schools will just go, okay, we'll wait until that score comes in before taking a look at your application. They're not going to penalize you because you have a previous score that's not great, even though you're retaking it. So um, submit and in the application put that you're retaking it. My concern is that August is a very late, um, a very late uh, testing time, but if that's what you need to do, then, then that's what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Although if you're applying to Canadian schools, August is not quite as late. If you're applying to U S schools, it's pretty late. So that would be the question. They are applying to U S schools because they're talking about May and early June versus uh, October. Good good context clues. Canadian schools. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) But maybe Canadian schools are an option. Sorry. Yes, they, they are as well. Uh, Lauren. Hello, Lauren. If I get waitlisted by my first choice school, can I ask to be accepted for next year's class? Have you ever heard of this working? So waitlisted means you're not accepted. So saying that you want to be accepted for next year's class doesn't necessarily make sense. Some medical schools will accept you for next year's class off of the wait list, but that's up mm-hmm. to the school to decide. Mm-hmm. 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 You can't request that. Yeah. A, a wait list does not mean you are accepted, but we don't have room for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Even though it kind of feels like that. It feels like it. <laughs> so okay. you're saying there's a chance. And I would, I would uh, hasten to add that it's it's quite unusual for a school to allot places in the following year's class out of this current application cycle. That's mm-hmm. that's not very typical. Yeah, it's it's not super common. The one place where it has come up previously is oversubscribing, mm-hmm. uh, where where school will typically hand out. 250 acceptances for their 200 spots, knowing that some students aren't going to come. And then for some reason, it's just a weird year and 220 students want to come and they only really have a maximum of 210 seats available. Mm -hmm. And they'll, they'll go to the students and go, Hey, can you come next year? And we'll give you a discount on your tuition. It's, it's, it's like you go to the the airport and Mm -hmm. in the, the Delta person comes on. Um, we have too many passengers. Can you yeah. uh, take a voucher for next yeah. our next flight out? Yeah. Um, same thing. That's right. That's right. Magnolia, our friend McKenna. I know you say a gap year isn't a free pass, but I have wanted to travel for years. I have lots of clinical experience, leadership, research, volunteering, etc. Can I explain pursuing a passion? Scott, what do you think? Uh, so McKenna, McKenna wants to go travel the world mm-hmm. um, in her free time. She's got mm-hmm. tons of experience. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see a problem with it. I mean, I, yeah. I think you have to, um, you know, in, in your application for, for, for the, the next cycle, you really just have to say, you know, this is what my plan is for my gap year. I've always wanted to do this. Here's an opportunity. I recognize that after going you know, getting into medical school, there's going to be very limited opportunities for the next probably 10 to 
years or so. And, uh, and so, you know, here's an opportunity to go. And, and I, I, so I, I don't, particularly within the context of seeing, you know, that you have lots of, uh, experiences and leadership and research and all that stuff so that yep. you're not needing to pick those up in a gap year. So I, I don't see a problem with it, frankly, I've, I've seen it happen. And if you're a strong applicant, um, then I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. Um, what about potentially continuing to do e-shadowing when you travel? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's an option. Yeah. Uh, what about potentially looking ahead and going, Hey, like Dr. Smith, I'm going to be in your town. I really love your YouTube video about X, Y, or Z. I would love to come shadow you for a day when I'm in yeah, town. Yeah, absolutely. So I, as that, being foot yeah, in there. I love that idea. Yep. It's a good idea. Carolyn asks, I, I, I went to a 06 farm program, uh, whatever that is, and didn't do well, so I changed my major. Uh, I have now completed the last semester of my undergrad degree, and I have an upward trend. How do I explain my shortcomings to adcoms? So, um, how do you explain your shortcomings? Scott, how is this any different than... Um, potentially a student who starts off in undergrad does poorly and then does a post back and, and shines. I, I think the one caveat potentially to this is she started off in a farm program and schools may go, well, it's probably harder than a normal undergrad medical school may be harder than your farm program. So we're going to have some doubts. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to really approach it. You know, my guess is that, um, you really have to approach it in terms of, you know, I was young. I didn't really know how to study. I, I was, you know, uh, uh, immature and, uh, and, and just didn't do well. And I, I learned, got things under my belt and really ha have learned how to study better. Have, I've developed a, you know, more mature approach to uh, a, a more disciplined approach to, to school and, and to doing the, the work that's necessary, et cetera. Th those are the kinds of things that they're going to want to hear from somebody who didn't do well early on and, and uh, in a, in a uh, you know, farm program. My guess is I'm not really familiar with this kind of O-6 farm program, I, but my guess is it's like a six-year uh, medical, you know, BSMD program. Yep. It's just it's farm D. Kind of you don't, you don't get a bachelor's. You just go straight. You just to your go doctor. straight. Yeah, that's right. Yep. That's kind of what I figured. And so I, I would say, you know, you just kind of chalk it up to, you know, I was young and dumb and didn't really know what I was doing and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I've learned and, and I've done a lot better and I completed, you know, my undergrad degree and I'm ready to, to move on. And, and that's the way you explain it. Yep. All right. Well, it's uh, been an hour, so I think we're wrapping up here. Woohoo! Yes, yes. So much fun. Uh, again, go to mapped.com, M-A-P-P-D.com. Use that promo code 30 days free. Check out all of the goodies in there, including the chat advising. Once you get all of your information in Mapped, we can try to help you out a little bit more specifically. Um, and go go sign up if you want yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah. And if you are applying this cycle, go check out applicationacademy.com. That is starting on January 18th, uh, our next cohort. So that's exciting. Yep. Yep. All right, everyone. Woohoo. Have a great day. Happy New Year. We'll see you next time. Adios. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. 
If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.